0: So, this upcoming segment, what you're about to listen to, is uh, the I may be wrong, but I doubt it segment. It's one of my favorite segments I've created. Essentially, you know, it's me and another fitness professional having a disagreement and actually airing it out on, you know, on the podcast. I've got no problem when people disagree with me. I know I say some shit that people don't like. As a, you know, when it relates to running a business in the fitness industry. But what really chaps my dick is when these guys will not come on the podcast to talk it out. They'll, you know, they'll send a, a snarky DM or make some bullshit comment, but they won't come on the podcast to actually have a, Discussion, right? I've called out my colleagues in different business coaching, mentorship, uh, university groups, and things like that on stuff we don't agree about. I'm like, hey, we should probably talk about it. We should probably argue about this because it'll be best for our audience to see two different perspectives. And they refuse to do it. So when I meet someone like Todd Weiss, who's on this episode, who's willing to like be like, man, I don't agree with your thing and come on and talk about it, I'm. it blows me away, and so to Todd and everyone like Todd that's willing to have a discussion, thank you. If anyone's listening to this and they've ever significantly disagreed with me on a certain topic, like you really want to discuss it, please shoot me a DM on Instagram, uh, hit me up, let me know what it is you disagree with, and I'd love to get you on the show. All right, let's do it. What is up, guys? It is Stu. and It is another episode of the What the Fuck Gym Talk podcast. Uh, we have a – I may be wrong, but I doubt it segment if you're not familiar with that – Essentially, myself and another uh, colleague in the fitness industry who uh, saw the world differently via, you know, probably an Instagram comment discussion DM kind of scenario comes on and we just kind of we chat it out. Um, you guys always have to listen to my dumbass just in the just spit in my monologue to you all the time. So I figured it's kind of nice to bring in another point of view, someone who doesn't see the world like I do. And uh, I'm a big fan of that. So uh, we have Todd Weiss here. Todd is with It's The Pack, correct? Correct. Yep. Awesome, Todd. Real quick, give everyone kind of the ninety-second spiel. Uh, you, how you got into gym ownership, the whole the whole thing.
1: Yeah, I've owned CrossFit affiliates since twenty twelve. Coach CrossFit Games athletes, regional level athletes. We have an online one on one training business and an in person uh, affiliate, which is our third affiliate now, and that's what we do. back awesome, and uh, Great Wolf CrossFit.
0: Oh, where and where are you located?
1: We are now located in Rochester, New York. So upstate New York.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Very familiar with that. Okay. Good shit, man. So um, let's go where you and me kind of, uh, obviously we, I think we've jammed back and forth on the internet but you know, in the past. And then I believe I shared a, uh, it was like I was reposting something that best hour of the day had posted. It was one of their whiteboard images. It said, you don't need a competitor's class. And then I kind of elaborated on that with my thoughts as to, um, you know, and I, of, of where I think about the competitors class and maybe an internal conflict the gym owner might have, right? Like they might agree with that statement, but they have 15 members out of the 220 that are competitive and they had, they created that competitor's class and maybe now they resent it or they don't resent it or someone like you, it sounds like you've really been able to lean into it and develop it, you know, pretty well. Talk to me a little bit about kind of the origin of our uh, disagreement here as you were kind of reading through that post uh, and that copy. And I'll go ahead and I'll uh, in the podcast show notes, I'll make sure I get a link to this exact post so you guys can reference it.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of it had to do with, I mean, you're big on the economics of it, running a gym, coaching, making sense financially, operational capacity. And I do agree with all those things. Um, But my divergence was that you can learn a lot from a competitor's class as a coach and a company and then head coach top down on how to train your athletes, the everyday goers. And, um, I think the post was more of like, you don't need a competitor's class. Cause they waste space. They take up time. They take up energy. You're not making money on them. Um, and then they pull and diverge the community and people have like these clicks. And so I think that's where it really was. And I think we disagree in the fact that I think people can learn mainly coaches and owners, um, how to train people better understand things from the top down as far as performance improving fitness improving their program design
0: so your then your main stance here is that the competitors class is actually more of a benefit for the coach or the owner from right. that perspective can you can you elaborate on that what is it a coach or an owner is going to learn uh, learn from a small cohort a competitors class that's going to carry over to you know what essentially pays the bills and and you know at the gym
1: yeah. So, I mean, the biggest thing is people come in your door doors to get better, healthier and fitter, right? That's why they Googled you They're They're either overweight, out of shape, or they want to get stronger and they're coming in. And if you're a uh, coach that's got a little bit of knowledge or you have an L1 certification, I would argue, you don't really know how to make those people improve because you don't have uh, the technical knowledge and then the experience to bring a top down. So if you look at runners, most of the time people are trying to run training programs as a marathon runner than elite marathon runner would run. And we've developed those principles and methods from the best people and then applied it to people who want to run a marathon. I think the same thing is true in CrossFit or strength and conditioning. Like you look at Westside Barbell and what they've done, then you see it happen in CrossFit classes. You know, you're really big on tempo. Someone made tempo and Cal Dietz worked on tempo with his Uh, football athletes to make them better at football. And now we use it as a method to help you get fitter and stronger without those people at the tip of the spear, learning these things, we wouldn't know it as coaches and implement it into our classes and our general uh, population. So you get the experience from the 15 people trying things out, learning, and like seeing how they adapt and respond. And then you can be like, Oh, this may work for so-and-so, or this may work for my group model.
0: Yeah, no, it's, um. so uh, you're 100% right. So let's use an example. Let's use um, EPOC, right? Excess Post-Exercise uh, Oxygen Consumption. Uh, that's Orange Theories, and that was the basis of their entire unique belief in fitness originally was epoch and then the various like i think they ran with a four zone model but heart rate zone based scenario so that all that obviously comes from the top down no exercise scientist or in high level endurance coach is really getting too excited to wake up in the morning and go into the lab you know um with their metabolic cart and perform vo2 max test on sally who's 40 pounds overweight right like yeah. that's you're 100% correct i think from a, a science perspective it's all tip of the spear down to what we have i'm really curious when i when i hear that at the group fitness level what are we taking over so give me like a hard concrete example like well this is something that is like it's a high end competitive it's a it's a you know a higher echelon element of training for crossfit and i take it down to the gpp people the 90 some percent of my membership and this is how they benefit from it
1: yeah. Let, let's take the uh, most rubbing movement, snatch, clean, and jerk okay. or overhead. squat. You have some of the best athletes in the world or close to, and you're teaching them how to snatch, clean, and jerk, making them better, looking at all the nuance and details um, of those things. You can then learn the little minute details to apply. So you learn how to cue and correct. You learn how to see things better. You learn how to articulate a little bit better because they're so good at what they do to make a change in that is a lot. It's like you have to really sharply see something. That skill that you develop as a coach by working with these really high level athletes then can be applied to the GPP because most of the time in these scenarios, like you take Invictus for example, there are coaches that work there and coach the GPP class or our gym. The coaches that work here and coach the GPP also coach the elite athletes. So once we've developed that skill with the high level, you can then bring it down. the general person and be like okay yeah we got to drive through the floor better midfoot your back angle's a little weird and you start perfecting their mechanics and technique even if it is with a pvc pipe or you know whatever they want to snatch but you can lean that over a little bit
0: and the concept there being high level athletes and let's you know um invictus the pack uh, I don't know what other, another six CrossFit gyms or whatever it is like that. Like when we say high level athletes, like people who, and again, and I'm, and I, I'm, this is such a dick thing for me to do right now, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> um, they're recreational Intramural athletes not yep. being paid for the sport. They have full-time jobs. This is a pipeline dream. They're trying to walk on to a division one team. They're trying to, they're trying to yep. get a paid spot, right? They're not professional athletes. They might not even be of the highest caliber. A kid who goes to what I don't know what you guys have now. Super re, Wait, what's the next level? Quarterfinals that you guys just did?
1: Quarterfinals and semifinals. Great. Yeah.
0: Quarterfinals, semifinals. Like the difference, the shittiest athlete at the CrossFit Games that makes it to the CrossFit games, the shittiest, the least yeah. fit is still fitter than every single one of those people there, right? Like, so these tiers of, like, I'm a – remember, I remember, like, I'm a bubble athlete on the Open. All that meant was you fucking sucked and you might make it the regionals if six people get hurt. That's what that meant, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, now, yeah. you know, quarterfinals, you suck less than Open athletes. Next level, you suck less than quarterfinal athletes. But really, that entire – I still look at the bell curve. 20% go to the CrossFit Games, top 20% right? Bottom 20%, fucking whatever. Mid 60s, like the 60% in the middle is just all of us. We're just like, we're better than average, but in this, for the goal of the sport, you're still dog shit. Like you'll never get paid. You're never going to make it realistically. You might go team. If you can go team maybe and find some people and the team doesn't break apart every fucking year, Um, maybe something like that. But okay. So with that being said, and just clarifying that, Watching those athletes, those higher level athletes, you're right. They have less errors in their lifts, so a coach has to be able to nitpick the smallest. Again, they like said – you know, I mean, you can start getting pressure plates like on the floor and start seeing like where right. their foot displacement power is and stuff like that, and, and measuring bar speed and using you know apps and software and all this crazy fun stuff. How much of that is even really applicable though? When I go to teach Sally, who's forty pounds overweight this movement. And then in my argument, does she even need that movement? Does that movement even need to be in her repertoire?
1: Yeah. So as far as movement, it, you could choose whatever movement you want, but you do need highly neurological explosive movements. So kettlebell swing, a sandbag throw like strong men do over a bar, something that's violent hip extension. You could do whatever you like. It could be jumping, um, but they need that neuro drive, right? Highly explosive adaptability to then stimulate the pathway. So you can build more muscle, you can lose weight and that's what they're looking for. So we need that piece, whatever it is. I like the snatch clean and jerk. That's just my preference. Don't have to do it. You can do other things, but we're going to work on those things. And they are high level, in my opinion, athletic development. And that's really your job is you're trying to make people more athletic, no matter the outcome, the end goal, right? The people in the bubble and those people who suck, um, as you said, like they just want to get better. The same thing as like Sally who comes in the gym, she wants to get better. So how are you as a fitness coach going to get them better? Because as you know, and you've talked about the community, what does Sally want S- to get
0: better at real quick? I want to ask you that. What, what do you mean Sally want? Cause when I think of the athlete that wants to get better, that's a performance desired metric. They have a, they have something they're measuring themselves against. What is it that you believe Sally and the gen pop, the 99% of all the members of the gym owners listening to this, what do you think it is that she actually wants to get better at?
1: Well, you have to ask the, their specific question. But generally, generally, I think you come in and you want to look better naked.
0: Aesthetic-based, personal Aesthetic esteem. or health, right? Health. Or yeah, health, correct. Right? Yeah. They're
1: coming in and they're like, hey, I went to my doctor and you were using a female example. They're pre-osteoporosis right? They're told they have all these problems. Their blood work is low because their hormonal imbalance is all messed up. And we're here to give them muscle tissue and increase bone density because we know that that's going to help change those markers. So that's how they want to get better typically, or they want to look better, or they want to function with their kids and run and play on the playground with their kids rather than sitting down and watching them play. Cool,
0: Good. I just want to make sure we're on the same page. I agree agree 100% with that. I think they come in looking to get better in a way that You could train them for probably, again, because the training age is generally low. You could train them for a period of time in which you actually don't really need a high amount of violent hip extension outside of some basic shit like a kettlebell swing and the ability to jump on an implement, right, a a small box to some degree. But beyond that, we don't need to be getting very explosive and creating those higher-level athletic adaptations. You know know this, uh, and every coach worth their shit knows this. You watch that woman on the rower. And no matter what, she just can't put it down. Like she just can't right. fucking do it no matter what. Why? The bitch is weak. She's fucking right. weak. She has no ability to have create leg drive power. All right. Even horizontally, which is the easiest way to fucking do it. Right. right. Like, so it's it's like she just needs some basic strength training before right. we try to have her represent productive power output. Yep. So I that's where like when I hear competitors class. It's, you know, and, and gym owners doing that, it's like, okay, let, let's just run the numbers. Like what percentage of these people need the competitor's thing? Okay. And not even maybe need, they want. And then if they want, does that mean you allow everybody in or do you create prerequisites? I think that's a, that's a big question for a lot of these people running comp. Uh He wants to get in it. What do you mean he wants to get? He's fucking been here six weeks. Tell his fucking ass (laughs) to get in the group class for fucking two years and be able to meet these 15 whatever benchmarks we've created, and then he can come do this thing, right? But now it creates the cool kids versus the non-cool kids. Oh, that's what the fit kids do. I should be doing that. And it generally happens concurrently with a group class model, meaning the the fitter kids are over here doing their thing, competitors, and the group class is doing over there. How does how do you think about that segregation and creating clicks, where the gym owner has been the one to create it? The gym owner literally right. said, "I'm going to create these two classes, and it will. There's no ifs, fans, or buts around it. It's going to socially create clicks and create a divide as to I provide a thing, AK Fitness, but I got two flavors of it. Right? Yeah. I got this one over here that the rest of you fuckers can't touch. This one, but and then I've got the one over here that I want you guys in. That's for everybody. The, the all you can eat buffet version.
1: Yeah. So I think you hit on a a few things that people go over in this, this model, and it's already the awareness of that. So you have to be aware that that's going to happen when you do this, you have to know you're right. It's a community. It's a tribe, whatever word you want to use, there are going to be clicks regardless. So that's the first thing to know as a gym owner, and you got to stomp those out. You got to be okay to be like, Hey, we're not doing that. This is for everybody and and get inactive or interactive with those things when they're happening. The other thing is that, um, you know, I come from a place where I believe that, and it's just a philosophy. I believe everyone could go to the CrossFit games, whatever CrossFit games, you believe that everyone is, can. Yes. Yeah. And it's a philosophy. So like, hear me out on this
0: okay.
1: Your it's, it's your CrossFit games. Let's say you want to lose a hundred pounds. That's your CrossFit games. Got it. Got it. Because I coach CrossFit games athletes and I've, we've won the CrossFit games with a 55 year old masters. Like I, that's just what I use as my like analogy, my pinpoint. Sure. So your CrossFit Games is whatever your championship is. Yeah. With that philosophy, everyone is on the same playing field. You just have to make sure you're aware. Someone might want to go to regionals or semifinals or the games. Someone may be trying to lose 100 pounds. Someone may be trying to get their first pull-up. There's no reason, though, why they're doing different things. And Greg said this, we don't vary by degree. We vary by kind. Or Sorry, we don't vary by kind. We vary by degree. So we all should be doing squat press pull of some nature. And I think you would agree with that, but the degree in which we do it is very different. So as a coach and gym owner, people come through the doors. They want to get better, whatever better that is, you have to meet them where they're at. And maybe a competitor's class is what you want to do, or a hybrid model where you're doing class plus some one-on-one coaching, or you're doing just one-on-one. We have a ton of one-on-one athletes that come in that just did quarterfinals and the gym is here watching them do it. And they want to know where they're at in their ranking and the community gets behind them, right? Those athletes also still come in. They're part of the community. They're very respectful because I've set the tone and you make sure as an owner that, and the head coach, whether you have somebody running it for you that that's not allowed. And when they do act that way, you got to come in and put your foot down. So if you want to have these two classes or, whatever, however many classes you want to have, you got to make sure that you're okay to have a hard conversation with somebody and say, Hey, you're not, you're acting like an asshole. Stop that. Or you can leave. And you got to be okay with firing that member to preserve the things that you want to do. And in my opinion, I think the Jim gym owner's heart is in the right place with trying to have a higher level class, trying to have these other classes and trying to have a boot camp class, but they're all the same class. They're all the same person. You know, it's hey. just the goal is different.
0: Yeah, I, li- I like how you put, like, uh, you extrapolated on your your paradigm there. Everyone has their own version of the CrossFit Games. You've heard other people, like, everyone has their own Everest, right? Whatever right. you're trying to climb, right? Now, with that being said, and this is, like, my knock on group fitness in general, and it, it just, and I, listen, I sold it. I, I can knock the, it's not perfect by any means, and, I, right. and it's hard to argue against this, I think. Group fitness does not develop optimal fitness for any one specific person. It does what GPP is meant to do, right? Now, with that being said, that's the hard part. I know like you hear guys like Sean Pastuch or whatever jump on this train as well. It's like, okay, so if everything is going to be different by degree, not kind, and there's 250 people in this gym, there's probably 250 degrees. Like unique fucking things. And not only – maybe not the goals are always unique, but it's also the situation of that person, the, the bad shoulder, the history of this, the that. I move like crap, kinesthetically, unaware, whatever it may be. That becomes, I mean, that, that's again, it's one of the the problems. That's why if you're a really good group fitness group class coach and you can manage, you know, a wide array of, of different degrees simultaneously, whenever one of that day is doing some kind of vertical press, horizontal, you know, uh, pull and um, and single leg work, whatever that may be. You're able to modify that for everyone. Good, great grand. I think that's I think it's very hard to do. Um, but this is like to go back to the competitors thing on this. You seem to kind of have this dialed in. I'm curious, do you believe that there should be a pre like a couple, like a couple things? Like I think of Jim Jones, one of my favorite like case studies to kind of look at. Like as far as exclusivity goes, I think if you're going to have an elite group, and I'm I'm okay with there being elite groups. Like there's a run club in Charlotte, very popular, a couple hundred people go every week, and then there's an elite group of those, but they all have BQ times, they've all got Boston qualifying times, and they're all fucking training. They should, I mean, they should be separated, right? They all are paying for individual coaching from this one faction here in Charlotte, whatever it may be, and they should separate the the two of those uh, efforts as far as that goes. Do you believe there yep. should be prerequisites? Like, okay, well, we got to see either you have, something, you have something on the calendar, you've paid for, a competition you want to participate in, or we have these benchmarks. You have to meet these prerequisites in strength and gymnastics and conditioning ability to be able to play with these kids over here on this side of the sandbox.
1: Yeah, I don't think so. Um, I think for safety, yes. Like you obviously, you can't have somebody who can't perform the movement safely. And that's a conversation one-to-one. You'd have them in class, you'd have them coach or they do one-on-one training uh, with a coach or something. But I don't think you need to. I think it self-selects in a way, the sport itself for CrossFit running the same way. Like, you know, I'm not really sure how many people get self-selected. I think a lot of people get pretty fast at running and cycling. It's just how much time and work you want to put in. So self-selecting is like, you're going to have people come in and train. They're paying the money. That's already a barrier. The time is a barrier. The class time is a barrier. um, Their consistency is a barrier. Because obviously if you have somebody come in five days a week versus somebody who's coming three days a week, the person five days and get better. So the self-selection happens on its own. You don't necessarily need to have those conversations around it. I would say only for safety, if someone's going to want to run something like this. I think everyone should have the opportunity to play if they want to play. And it's your job as a coach to give them the tools to play.
0: Sure. And, and so, and somebody comes out and like, again, like someone who their fitness methodology is running high likelihood, they may at some point sign up for a 5k or OCR or something adjacent to running, right? they just, it just, what happens? Cause fitness is a hobby for everybody at first. Right. It is a job for the very, very small 1%. So if uh, 2 million people a year register for a, a a race, an organized race in the United States, you know, again, that, that's all a bunch of hobbyists. It doesn't mean they can't participate in a race, but now there's two different things there. That's running is a fitness methodology. Racing is the sport, different durations, different styles. Where my rub with CrossFit always is, has been we allow the opening of these commercial affiliates where CrossFit's the fitness methodology, and unless an organization like yours or maybe an Invictus or someone does a very good job drawing the line in the sand and saying there's also, it's named the same thing, I know it's confusing, but there's also this thing that's the sport, this thing that is going to require time and effort, and you cannot come in here in group class and do well at that sport necessarily, right? Like yeah. if you're going to really want to do well at the sport, you probably have to put in time. Cause I can't imagine the group programming model allows for all the variations that would be seen at the highest level of the sport within the 60 right. minute business focus minded group class model.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, so you hit on a thing of why I like this argument and what I think you should be a proponent of the, the competitor class or whatever you want to call it, or a 90 minute class, because a, you can charge more. Because you just said it, people are hobbyists. So if that's their hobby and they want to get good at it, you, you're going to pay I, a premium, right? I agree. They should
0: pay more. A thousand percent. We yeah. are on board with that.
1: Yeah. So we we do pay more. You don't you don't get the CrossFit, hundred sixty dollar, two hundred dollar CrossFit.
0: Nice. What do you, ch- if problems. you mind sharing with people? Because I'm gonna, I'm just picturing the amount yeah. of DMs I get on this. What do you guys charge <laughs> extra on that?
1: Our um, well, let's go with like our gym now in Rochester. Obviously, you got to make it within the market that you're in. We have sure. a smaller you know, we're not, when we were in Silicon Valley, it was way more expensive because we were in Silicon Valley. Sure. Now we're out here in upstate New York. It's very different. Um, so 160 a month is the general CrossFit unlimited. Yep. And then 240 is the CrossFit classes in hybrid. Hybrid, you get assigned a coach and you get one limitation development piece. You conversate with the coach. What is that? Maybe it's gymnastics. Maybe it's weightlifting. Maybe it's endurance, Got whatever it, it is. Um, or whatever, whatever your specific goal is. And then we have the 320 uh, which is the one-on-one, full one-on-one. You still get access to classes if you want to do it. You get the space, you get the open gym, you get all the stuff, and you get a coach writing your program design for you. So that's our price breakdown.
0: Like that. And, um, and for someone who comes in, wants to do be a competitor, I'm assuming you have to go up to that top tier?
1: Yeah, typically, I mean, you're not going to get we have those conversations and you just hit the nail on the head. Like you're not gonna get good without moving up like that. The 60 minute class is not gonna make you an elite athlete. Will it make you good? Yes, because my original argument is like I use the principles and methods that we found to work really well. But like when you're doing a warm-up and maybe a strength or a skill, or you're doing a warm-up and just like a mixed conditioning piece or an interval piece, or you're doing a long day, you're not getting enough exposure to stuff, you know, even though we have progressive programming where Every Tuesday we're doing pull ups, whereas most gyms don't, CrossFit gyms don't do that. But you're not getting enough exposure anyways. So yeah, you need to be training longer. So you're gonna do the competitor stuff or you're gonna do the hybrid or you're gonna do the one on one because that's yeah. your goal, right? And like you said, they're hobbyists. So they're gonna spend the time, energy, money to do this thing because they enjoy it. It's what they have in their life. Like like you said, most of us are adults, you know, anywhere from 28 to 40 years old, some little older who want to compete but mostly that's the age range and they want to spend their extra time instead of watching netflix learning how to do bar muscle ups and i love that that's okay that's my wheelhouse let's go ahead and do it you know yeah um and i think there's a value there as long as your pricing structure your operational capacity can sustain something of that nature
0: yeah it's you know it's interesting i i do believe if uh one of my longest clients I've ever had has a, a phenomenal competitors program. It's a Crossway Grandview, Columbus, Ohio. Um, oh, yeah. and,
1: uh, crush
0: it. yeah, they do great. And, and so I, again, I, it's not that I'm anti that I believe it could be done. I believe the average affiliate, number one, does not have the space square foot. Let me get what's the size. of what are your gyms? Like that has a good competitors program.
1: Ours is 3000. I would okay. say you need a 6,000 square foot gym. Typically, as long as you have a membership, Of like 200 members or more. Yeah. You're going to need that space. 3000 to be
0: tight. So in 3000, you guys are able to run the competitors program in there as well?
1: Yeah. Just because of our setup, it was, we have the rig like on the wall one day away and it's like really long and wide. And then we have like a little area that has an auxiliary rig and then they bleed into the space a little bit. But our space is unique in the way that it's shaped. And so we can make that happen. You feel like
0: you have an L or something like that, like one of those scenarios? Yeah. Yeah. Those work, actually, those work really well. I like it because one, you're out of sight, out of mind. I actually like Ls. For that layout. I got a couple, we have on the gym real estate side, a couple of gyms looking at some spaces like an L where they don't want a competitor. I'm like, yeah, then you're not going to want, if you're going to want to see everybody at once and not segregate the group by visually, you're going to want it. Um, But okay, that's great. But I mean, I agree. Like, I believe if you have the space to create two different worlds, right? Because again, the two worlds are also anyone who's listening to this in the CrossFit space has had group class going on and they've had a few open gymmers right? Which yeah. is probably this unofficial thing you have. You're just letting those kids do their do at programming and yeah. you're trying to talk to Sally and it just, because someone's practicing, you know, their CP battery work on cleaner jerks, right? You know, uh, they're doing cluster sets and it's like, Oh my God, they're just like, it's these two worlds collide. Now I like the, seg- the separation of them physically. If you can, I like the separation of actually making the competitors saying, expensive, like you said, and I, I would, I'd like it being exclusive. I really do. I think because if you allow anyone to come into the competitor side and let's say I am Stu and I work at bank of America and yeah, sure. Stu, I might suck compared to the worst person, the CrossFit games, but motherfucker I'm 22 and I'm going to fight and claw my way to be better at this. And even if I got a nine to five job, Stu, I'm still going to fight and in 60 hours a week. Like this is my life. I believe yeah. like I, I love rock. Like, listen, I love an underdog story, man. Like, I want those guys to come back and be like, fuck you, man. I made it. Like, I would I love that. <laughs> but if you just start letting anyone into the competitors program that can pay, it can water it down. I used to play like high level indoor box across in New Jersey. And it was like you let any it was pay to play, and I hated that. You didn't have to have any stats, you didn't have to be fucking good, you didn't have to go to states or anything like that. It <laughs> pay to play. And yeah. It made it for me as a competitor, I was like, well, dude, I want nothing but the best. I don't want to get missed like coming off the cut and you know someone to give me a shitty pass because he sucks. I want to play with guys my skill set, right? right. Do you see any of that like allowing anyone that can pay and says they want to do it, even though their skill set and you know their actual training age might not align well with the competitor's model?
1: not really because it it's an individual sport. You know, I played a team sport also. I played lacrosse. So like I get what you're saying, but it doesn't, yeah, it's so individual that yes, there will be somebody in there that's like not in the same level. And sometimes, yes, I think that can get annoying for other people, but it's going back to, as the gym owner, you guys say, Hey, this is this person's goal. This is this person's goal. And we have conversations all the time about where are you on the leaderboard? Where are you sitting in this thing? You know, where's your set point? You know, what did you score? Where are you? And then you get some awareness of like, okay, that person was minutes ahead of me. So they are much fitter, Right. And that's the one cool thing about CrossFit of how it is, you know, defined by the times and the seconds and everything else. It is also a double-edged sword because it creates other problems that we won't get into, but it is cool to be like, Hey, look, if you want to bridge this gap, you got to go here. And everyone knows, you know, it's like, the badge of like, I'm level one, level two, whatever you want to make up. I don't like that, but it's because it's very apparent when you finish the open and you're 10,000 and somebody you're training with, even though you're all putting in the same time and maybe you're doing a competitor's class, somebody else is a hundred. You know that that's very different and you have respect for those people. So then you just come in and you're like, hey, that guy's a hundred. I'm, I want to get better. I'll just watch what they do and I'll try to emulate them and stay out of their way. If you're in their way, hopefully you're not. And then the person is a hundredth as the head coach or the main coach of that athlete, you gotta be like this, these people look up to you. You're an inspiration. You're showing what human capacity is, you know, as long as you're doing safe and not getting injured, but they want to be like you. So set an example, you bear that by being this fit because you have nothing else other than being fast at exercise. So you might as well be a role model and be an inspiration and like help other people get better. Right. Yeah. So you have to have that growth mindset as well but I don't see it the way you're saying it with like the pay to play and people coming in. Cause we're not throwing a ball to each other. You know, my, my skills don't have to be. Sure. Good Someone good else's skill.
0: shitty performance doesn't impact your performance, which right. is, which is one of the hard things on individual sports like that. It's kind of like, you know, runners, right. You can go out and have your best fucking race ever, but bro, if the dude next to you just had a better day, <laughs> that's, that's yeah. how it stacks up. Right. There's nothing. You can't play any defense. You can't trip him, Right. You can't, you can't fucking stop him.
1: So I can lem- see that in teams though. So you gotta be careful with that. Or like when people are like, I want to do this competition with this person, that person. know, oh, the
0: couple shit, like the doubles like, and all that. Yeah, yeah, I just and then like it's one member who awkwardly is asking another one. And now that member feels kind of obligated to do it. And it just yeah. Right. And they're like, man, I just going to the gym was fun. And now I feel like it's a job. It's an extra thing. I have to go to these practices. I have to be practicing all these things. And I yeah. think that's like for CrossFit. That's one of the things that's why and I and I didn't do it right in the beginning uh, if I go back, I wish I could have done it better sooner, but like this idea of the movement repertoire and what's available to people when they first come in, is just so vast. There's just so much to get better at when I really think it could be boiled down to like 12 exercises, really. I mean, it could be boiled down to something very simple for the first year, six to 12 months of your training, um, to focus on and not even worry about these outlier type things. But, you know, you obviously have figured out, uh, a good, a way to do this. And you, you've obviously, you know, probably looked at other people in the space doing it successfully and created your own style. And, and it's, it's working. My guess, it, it, most of the gym owners, most of the, like I was reading through the comments of that post and I even went back to where Ackerman and, and best hour of the day posted up on theirs and the conversations that was going on in that post. And it, most of the gym owners that are doing this competition thing, they grow to this, to, to um, resent it. Right. It's something yeah. that they gave birth to in life to. And then later on, they're the first owner that's like, God, I these competitor kids. I'm like, whoa, 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 sleep in the bed you made motherfucker. You were the one yeah. who put on the CrossFit games, watch parties. You were the one that ordered a fucking worm after that, after the 2013 CrossFit games. Like y- you were the one that put sport in their head because maybe that's where you are. You were more of an athlete than you were an owner at the time. What, what are your thoughts on that? When you look at these other gyms that have, Competitive things, and you, and essentially it's not making more money, right? It's not like a good revenue stream like yours. It, It's not producing the result. They're not going to quarterfinals or the games or things like that. It's just – it's splitting a, a small amount of square footage into two areas, and one of them is the loud minority, a.k.a. the competitors, and it's creating a shitty client experience for the other 94% of people.
1: Right. Yeah. And that's, I do agree with that. And I, I agree with the post generally, I just was coming from a different perspective of like, I know where you sit financially and operational capacity and how you want gym owners to grow. And I also know like the best idea guys, like they want people to grow and get better too. And so really I was like, Hey, we need to have a conversation about this. Cause I could bring some of these things to light that I think gym owners can do a better job if Right, and they need to be following the things that you're talking about. Walk around your gym, map out the square footage, figure out if you can. That's the first thing. Then figure out the price that you need to charge to make it valuable to you and valuable to the person within their economic demographic within your gym. And then from there, go and ask yourself the question: what you're alluding to is, do I actually want to do this? Because for myself, in 2014, uh, I was like, I was, I went to regionals, and then I coached like my first athlete going into 2015 and then grew from there. But I asked myself like, Oh, I want to be Ben Bergeron. And like, now I don't want to be Ben Bergeron. I didn't really care. But at the time, you know, he was a big, big sure. girl. And I was like, I want to be Ben Bergeron. And Did I do ever want to be that.
0: Rudy Nielsen with your beard.
1: No, no, <laughs> Pretty um, yeah, no I, I was good. So <laughs> I, uh, I was like, yeah, I want to be Ben Bergeron. And yeah. then it turned into, I want to win the CrossFit games with an athlete. And last year I did that. And now I'm like, well, now what do I want to do? And now it's kind of like, I just love it. I'm going to, it's like wash, rinse, repeat, right? Sure. But you, you have to set that for yourself as either the coach or the owner and really take ownership of the program you want to develop and understand that, like, maybe you do it for 10 years and that's okay, but you got to at least dive in and do it for five to 10 years. You know, it's like getting hired at Apple or Google. You're not going to work there for two years and quit. You're just not like, you're not going to be any good at it. Also, so you got to dive in and stay there long enough to really get good and ask yourself the hard question because you got to deal with all these problems that you're bringing up. Those are problems. You got to have conversations with people. You got to set the line. You got to ask people for money. You got to move their space and their equipment. You got to move the member space and equipment. You have to explain to the members why this is this and why this is that and be okay with that because you want to coach and develop this program and deliver the service. That's (laughs) so that's essentially what you're talking about.
0: Uh, And I love that. And by the way, man, congrats. uh, I getting someone to the games and winning. That's very cool. Like, I'm like, I've got buddies that coach grade school across. And if they fucking have a great season, I'm pumped for them. Like as a coach and someone like, it's not about, uh, you know, it it doesn't have to be the the tip of the spear um, achievement for coaching to be one of the most rewarding things in the world. Right. Whether it's teams, individuals, CrossFit, football, whatever the fuck it may be. So uh, that's awesome, man. Very cool. Um, and, and so here's where I want to go with this then, because it seems you obviously have a good grasp on it. And I believe, I believe any, I, I don't believe it's what you do, right? I believe anything works. It, it's how and why you do It's it, right. really the the differentiators of this whole thing. So for someone listening to this, that currently has a competitor's class that is more of a headache than anything else. Like in my head, initially goes to a couple of checklists, which you mentioned earlier. Um, Can I run this to where both client experiences are not encumbering of each other and not taking away from each other? And that's going to be a square footage and equipment inventory and a coaching staff type scenario, right? Do I have that ability? Financially, how would you think about this? So if let's say a a gym owner came to you for mentorship, he goes, hey, I'm thinking of doing this. I've got an L2 like shape building, right? And I have, I'm going to get some more equipment. I want to do competitors. Financially, what kind of things do you, would you want to see or want them to have possessed or have accomplished within the business they'd be like okay well, I don't care now that you're adding a second service and kind of deviating away from your core service offering because that because the competitors thing is not going to be your core service offering it's not going to be the thing right. that pays the coaches professionally and keeps the fucking doors open and all that what would you be looking for on that front?
1: I would ask the first because we used to back stepped into owning a physical location again, after COVID we sold the one in California and all that huge hassle. But then we got back into owning one, um, and felt really good about it because our online company was doing so well. So similar to, I think you actually posted about this. Oh yeah, you did about gym owners who have uh, a full-time job. And it's like, so we kind of already have a full-time job with the online and we make our money from that. So if you don't have another income and luckily ours is also still in competitive fitness and fitness in general. But if you don't have a, another income, you then have to ask yourself, how much are you paying yourself from the gym already? Like start there. Yep. Are you making money on just the class? Like just do that, just class and and get the members to where you need it to be to pay yourself what you want to make. And then look five, 10 years down the road. Are you going to be able to have life insurance? Are you going to be able to buy a new car if you need it? Are you going to be able to buy a home? What does that look like? And how many members do you need to do that? Do that first. Once that's all squared away and you're like, okay, good. I'm good with this. If, you know, we had no competitors class, wouldn't matter to me because I'm making the money with the gym. I'm able to pay my coaches, everything, right? Yeah. From there. then you just got to ask yourself, like, why are you doing it? Sure. That's really it. And but you got to make the money first. You got to pay cr- yourself.
0: Correct. Yeah. You've got to, you got to achieve that. Cause you signed up to be a group, a commercial group fitness facility. So if you're still a right. C minus over there, and then be like, well, now I want to go be an A plus in, in competitive, whatever. It, then, yeah, no, I, I I don't recommend that at all. Now, what you said was very interesting because, yeah, I made that. I mean, for uh, Todd was referencing a, a post and a, a paradigm of mine that I stand firmly behind. If you're a part time owner, and I mean, a part time owner who has a full time career outside the gym. Stay a part-time owner with your full-time career so that you do not have to immediately extract cash out of the business to pay for your own livelihood. It allows you to run much faster than your competitors who are having to extract cash out of the business every month for their own livelihood. So it's just a basic math kind of assessment. But it made, it made me think of another one. I was on your website here. Um, and, uh, and by the way, like I can tell you, is it Squarespace? Yeah. It's well done. I see a lot of websites, a lot of Squarespace ones look like dog shit. Yours doesn't. Good job. Um, it's, it's, it's a good site. I I'll like it. I worked yeah. hard on it. Yeah. Dude, it's, isn't um, it fucking am- how amazing how, how well like website, like how much, like if you're a web designer, oh, you're yeah, like, yeah. God damn, my job's in trouble. Fuck me. Yeah. Right. Like, um, but anyway, I was looking at your site here. Where would you think about when someone's like, hey, I, I've got, I'm going to do this. Comp- I've got in the competitors thing that's already, it's already started. I probably should. I wish I would have had this advice or this podcast to listen to beforehand. But I already started it, and it's it's causing fucking headaches and riffs, and I need to do something about it. What's your recommendation? And and, you know, the money's not quite there. They're they're fucking having a hard time running the regime. Do they shut it down? Do they try to rehab it? What would your advice be?
1: Well, back to like, do you want to do it? So let's assume they want to do it. Sure. I think the best thing to do is find out what the pain point is. So like a good example is I know there's a gym that was running, they're letting people come in and do mayhem. And then they were like, then they were trying to run their own competitive thing. And like, then they upcharged people cause they were doing mayhem and it was getting wild and they didn't want people doing mayhem. So it's a weird thing in that scenario. But the easiest thing for them to do is take all the people that were coming in to open gym and have yep. a meeting with them and say, we understand that you guys want to get better. We, we, we love that. When we love that you want to be here, this is a great space. What we need to do, though, is one, we need a level set on our gym membership. You guys got to realize that we are a CrossFit gym. We're a health facility or we're a fitness, functional fitness gym that 80, 90% of you guys are, are just coming in for health and wellness, and that's how we make money. That's how we keep the doors open, lights on. That's how you have a space to train. Now, we know that you want to do more. We need to make this fair for them, and we need to make it fair for you and fair for us. And you just set down the value proposition, like, it costs this much. This is the times. We're going to do this and we're going to provide the best coaching and eyes on you as possible in this area. And we're going to work together to make this whole community ecosystem work the right way. You might lose people, but you're going to have to do that or else it's just going to be a huge headache. Everyone's going to hate each other. You're never going to get paid what you need to get paid. And then the worst thing could happen is you start charging something and everyone complains because, oh, now they upcharged this stuff and that, and there was no explanation. There was no conversation. And you just got to, I mean, you have a small anywhere, most people have a 150 person gym in these micro gyms, right? So like you have 150 people, 20 of them, maybe you want to do competitor stuff. Have a conversation with the 20 people. It's not that hard. You know, sure. it's like a group, it's not a big deal.
0: Yeah, I, uh, and, and again, I, I think there's certain things too. I think it's from a, a leadership perspective. If you create segregation in which that segregation is probably going to come with kind of a a higher, it's going to make it, it's going to create an unspoken hierarchy in the gym. Yeah. Right. So, you know, uh, the competitors are the fitter people, whatever the, the members are the, are the beginners. Right. Um, I think there's any, I think there's an opportunity like allow something like Ted Lasso where you're going to go ahead and you're going to have your competitors insert them or require them to insert yeah. themselves in the regular yeah. community in a very giving, gracious type way. Not like, oh, you have to attend class every now and then. Like, oh, great. I got to go fucking do this one workout that I'm going to crush yeah. everybody. But like, I don't know, fucking, um, you're going to help set up for class or you're going to, at the end of class, you're going to like, the competitor kids might come around and just individually grab somebody, be like, hey, man, that was great workout. I saw you Perfect. a little shaky in this position. Here, let me give you a quick tip. Just something just to make the good fortune there, like the good, you know, the economy there. Between human relationships, because otherwise it's just like everyone. If I if you and me joked around and said that douchey competitor in your gym, we all can stereotypically think of this human being, yeah. right? We've all witnessed yeah. that person who thinks they're better than everyone else when they still work at Bank of America nine to five. Like it's you're not. You're just you're better than everyone here, but in the grand scheme of things, you're 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 not shit. Hell, that could even be a core value for competitors. We, we're not shit. Like no matter what, no matter how good we get, we're going to always yeah. realize that we have more work to do. And we're not going to walk around here like we're Tommy Toughnuts because we're out of 138 people, we're the fittest one in this cohort.
1: Yeah. I mean, we had people come in um, who don't go to this gym, come in for quarterfinals to do quarterfinals this weekend. We had nine people on site here and a bunch of other people remotely. And all of them, I told them like, hey, there's members in here. Introduce yourself. Yeah. Make sure you go up and you say, Hey, I'm here for quarterfinals. I'm so-and-so we work remotely. Glad to meet you. And I saw a lot of them do it, you know, and it, it's hard because some of them, you know, everyone's got anxiety to some degree, so <laughs> they didn't do it, but you know, most of them did, but I made sure that that conversation was had and that's like what you're talking about. So you got to take personal ownership and lead from the front as a gym owner. And if you are mad or something's rubbing you in your gym, it's your problem. Like you did that to yourself. So take ownership of that. And I think that's the bigger issue. If, I gave any advice is like, you could put blame everywhere, but you should be blaming yourself for whatever situation you're in, in your gym. Cause it's your gym. Yeah. And do what you want.
0: Can I, one thing I've always believed truly is um, the reason anyone, any member in a CrossFit facility pays Ben Bergeron for group template programming, right. Or chalk or anything else for template programming, non-specific right. generic programming is because, I think it's
1: a terrible thing, by the way, but go ahead.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, well, I, I think it's a terrible thing, not for the customer. I think, it's, I think it's a byproduct normal for the customer. I think it's a terrible thing for the owner. And the only difference is the person they're buying it from has put out more educational content Positioning themselves as as a subject matter expert in this ability, in this realm of programming, than the gym owner has. The gym owner, because they're they're wearing 10 different hats and are putting out fires every day, they haven't had time to really dedicate a podcast and a weekly YouTube video as to, you know, their higher level. Like you said, I think a lot of gym owners open up the gym where they're I did love to work with higher level tip of the spear athletes, but then all the people paying the bills show up. And they never really keep maybe a you know, a higher echelon of education and continuously learning and all this other stuff. So they have nothing to make content on, really, other than this is where we like to set our feet for the air squat, right? Like the basic stuff. So now, your competitors don't look to you anymore as a subject matter expert in high-end competition, because you're never talking about, you know, advanced energy system trainings, you know, scenarios, or, you know, you're never talking about why Gail Hatch and his squat cycle is ideal to do, you know, in the off season during this period of time of intensification yeah. of your, whatever the fuck you're talking about, right? right? They never talk about that. So they go to the resources of people on the internet that have, and then they end up buying their programming just because that simple thing, because Ben Bergeron made more videos than you. That's it. Right. How have you guys thought about that? Like, how have you commanded the respect of everybody by the people like, oh, shit, Todd knows what he's talking about? right like you know are you guys constantly putting out content is it do you have like coaches meetings during the competitors thing where you're kind of like just doing whiteboard talk and talking about like how do you display your subject matter expert not now obviously you got someone to won the games right that's you're now you're, you're you get that passive you get to do this passively now because your results speak for themselves but when you started or for a gym owner who has a competitors program and they're like yeah but no but like i no, people are I have a competitors program, but they all pay for other people's programming. And I I see these people every day. I know their movement flaws. I could write programming for them that's better. Why don't they look at me as an expert?
1: Yeah, I think the so the competitive advantage is the disadvantage that you're highlighting. Ryan Fisher, Mayhem, they put out content, they put out videos. There's a surplus of visual education, free shit, free everything. Watch all that it's, it's $20, $40, you sign up to their programs. Sure. Look at the training every day. Start looking. If, if we were playing football and you're the new England Patriots and whether San Francisco 49ers and you're putting out your playbook, I'm going to buy the new England Patriots playbook yeah. and look at that. Right. You're putting, so I love that. We don't put anything out really for free. We internally put it out to our online athletes through Slack and we send them and we do some free content and stuff. We try to, but realistically, I believe the people that we have training with us, deserve us and we don't need to be putting it out there. And other companies put it out there because they're they're marketing. They want to get people in, right? They have a sure. volume model. And that's fine. We're not a volume model. We want one on ones who are dedicated, everything else. So we don't need to do that. We give it to them one-on-one. And that's where we've built even in the gym, our sub subject matter expert um, back in the day, I used to do the tips and tricks for our gym, like in 2014, 2013, 2015, after the open announcements, and me and another coach would set up our iPhone, and we'd talk about it, and then that would go to all our members. And yeah, they could watch Mayhem's tips and tricks, and hard work pays off and everything else, but guess what? That night, when you're at home, instead of watching Netflix, you watch those videos quickly and figure out what they're saying. And you go, okay, that person's saying this. So then when you come in on Friday, everyone's like, I saw so-and-so do blah, blah, blah. You're like, yeah, I did too. Guess what? That may not work for you because here's what they did and why they did it. Here's what you need to do and why you need to do it. And you show the separations. So that the hard thing is you now have to take on this daunting task of, of knowing what the competition is doing and then being ready with the information on like Friday night lights. If we use that example or just anything, any training day, people come in and they're like, oh, what's this? What's a cluster set? I saw on training think tank this, I saw this. All everybody's putting out the content, just consume the content because guess what? You're in fitness. You're going to learn something. You should be consuming it anyways. It's part of your job, you know? And then also, yeah, continue education, go get your OPEX certification, go, you know, get a mentor, do all that shit. Cause you need it or read the CSCS book, which is great if you like textbooks, but Hey man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, I think that's the biggest key is it's it's all out there. They put it out for free or a low barrier to entry, spend some resources, watch it all.
0: Yeah. And I do, I I truly do recognize the genesis for most of us who got into the fitness industry for, in a business capacity, the genesis for most of us was at some point we were highly, highly motivated by fitness because either just we like being fit and challenge ourselves physically or fitness was... Uh, what was needed for performance in a sport or an event, or to some degree. So, when we go into business mode, we take kind of a hiatus from that because we're now we have to now learn a thing called business. The ones yeah. that don't make it in this industry refuse to accept that. They think the design, you know, justine and the coaching realm and all that, which would be which would be great, but you better hire a CEO and a CFO and a, you know better hire yeah. people to do the the other business things. Um, and even like for myself like you know upon, you know after closing down urban and taking some time and then like becoming a beginner again when i realized that in my 17 years uh in my career i actually couldn't very well biomechanically explain running couldn't i never i never dived into that not once in almost 20 years of this in my career so well, then when I decided to it, yeah. start, then when I started to start running, like you know, be train, you know, myself, and I couldn't like I'm hiring coaches and talking to them, like I feel like a moron. So I just I deep dived into text and analysis and just like and started to learn it. But if I still owned a gym, I could still see myself have gone down that path. And then maybe who knows? Yep. Maybe Urban Movement would have started a run club or something because my interest in it was there. I do believe coaches need to have a, an innate interest in the area of fitness. They could be just in the group model. It could be in something a little bit adjacent, but more specific. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but you better have your fucking house in order. And when I make content like that, like I make these broad stroke statements, right, and best hour of their day or anyone else does, you know, it's because we're talking to a lot of people, and I know the majority of people do not have their house in order yet are running a competition class, and and, and that's where – there's nothing it's just like CrossFit. There's nothing wrong with CrossFit. There's the way that a shitty CrossFit affiliate owner is fucking interpreting it, selling it and managing it within that business. But it's not a problem with CrossFit. Just like is there really anything wrong with the competitor's class? I don't think so. Not in not in and of itself. It's what's wrong with it is maybe the culture you allowed it to create or the situation in which you gave it, you know, birth to, which was not conducive to have this thing in the first place. Uh one more, Another thing I wanted to hit on real quick here with you, because I, I feel like you've, you're very well versed in this and you're uh, uniquely um, capable of answering this question really well. How do you handle highly competitive attitudes, personas, especially around like the open and like whatever that for you is that like where you're dealing with like, I mean, I don't know how many girls you have in your office that might pop in there and are going to cry mm-hmm. at the end because they didn't make the cut or whatever it is or Yep. I mean, I've got friends here locally that're still in the competitive scene, and they're relocating to gyms fucking thirty minutes away because they weren't asked to be on the the games team at one gym. So now they got to go to another like there's a lot of drama that goes into when you get in competitive sports, right type scenario. Right. How do you manage all those egos and personalities? and what tips do you have for anyone listening that is struggling with that?
1: yeah, that's it's tough. i I coached uh, high school athletics as well. So like you got to make cuts. Um, and that's a tough thing to do. We recently had a girl, she, are you coaching lacrosse? Yeah. I coached lacrosse nice. for two nice. years. Um, so we had a girl for the the team that's coming up. I said, Hey, look, we're going to use metrics in training because there's three girls, you know, two only two get to go. We're going to use metrics and training. We're going to use the open and we're going to use quarterfinal scores, right? The girl got beat by seven out of the nine things. That's plain and simple, you know, obvious, you got, yep. but it's still, it still hurts. Right. And it hurts too, because, you know, maybe the clarity wasn't there or their understanding wasn't there and like whatever. So you have to make sure that you're using things that are tangible to show them on paper. Cause that's the fairest thing to do. I think too many people uh, do the, they're my homie. And so they get to be on the team. Yeah. I don't think that works well. You got to build a, like a construct of what is the team? What, what do you need to do? Do you know why the mayhem team work so well why do they work so well Well, they're so similar in nature they're so their heights are the same their scores are very similar the girls play well together they are the strongest two females in the sport uh the most recent ones right you gotta look at those things and if your team's not mayhem, it's okay you're gonna look at the characteristics that makes up that team and at this point in the game if you know anything about the sport itself you can't have any weaknesses and it's really a test of the females and how good they are overall, not just at a few things. It used to be like who are the strongest, and now it's not that way. Everyone's strong and everyone's fit. So you have to look at broad times and whole domains and set whatever your archetype is. Is it like your? You just go okay. You got to be able, like you said before, like letting people into a class. If you're gonna be on the team, I recommend just using historical data from the open quarters and any other post or previous competitions. But if you don't have any of that, you could run a combine. run some tests or you could use test metrics from their data of like well this girl can do 30 chest brown broken and this girl can do 15 so check in one column this girl has a cleaner jerk of 200 pounds this girl has a cleaner jerk of 230 all right this girl's got to check over here and you start looking at those things and saying like look on paper you are better across more modalities that are going to benefit us because especially now like i had a team go to um, semifinals last year, granite games, and you have to make sure they're balanced or else they're going to get eaten up. You know, they're going to get smashed on. And that happens to some teams. You don't want that to happen. It's not fun. It's not fun for the three other people. It's not fun for you when you're the weakest link and people mostly don't know why. And it's because people haven't built out these avatars and what it takes and what these metrics and numbers are. And like there, that information's out there. There's people scraping the leaderboards now and showing the best top, like beyond the whiteboard has the information. Like you can build your own archetype and catalog of what it is that you're looking for and say, Hey, fill this, fill this, be this person. Sure. This is what you need to do become that person. And then you can be on the team. Yeah. And then obviously they have to work well with others. Right. And that's, that's part of it, but that's intangible. You, you know, someone could be like, I'm the nicest person in the world. And 10 other people could say, you're an asshole. Sure. So it doesn't make any sense to do that.
0: And they also have to, like, they have to be have a financial, a level of financial commitment and disposable income to put to this. It's not like anyone's paying for them to fly out to Minneapolis to do the Granite Games or where the fuck it is. And, um, or Miami for Wadapalooza or whatever it may be. So it's like, it just a lot. And this is where I think if everyone's like kind of listening to Todd, Todd's obviously a, a lot of his, a lot of your time and energy goes towards this right yeah. so it's like you i'm assuming on the business side on the gym side you have like a general manager you have like a number 2 in command that is that is ensuring that everything that needs to happen over there is happening
1: uh it's my wife and i but i also have okay. a degree in business so that helps
0: like how, how, how much it, of you very I'm, I'm very curious on that cuz i i don't um how much of your degree in business do you think has been uh has been beneficial in owning the gym and how much of it was maybe not directly beneficial, but like at least had you thinking more calculated or black and white than maybe a lot of emotional business owners in the yeah. fitness space do?
1: Yeah. So a lot, I actually went to school for business entrepreneurship, which is like, I mean, it's a really, when I went to school, cause I'm 37. So it was a while ago, like the, the degree was really new, but now they have it. Because of that, you're in, you take a lot of classes that are like advertising, finance, global finance. So you're getting a mixture of all this stuff. And so now, like a lot of times I'm like, oh man, I remember that from school, you know, when we're doing leases and stuff and we're looking at this and like, I'm just like, oh, okay, that was there. And I was like, I hate school. This sucks. Like, and did it because everybody does it. And then now I'm like, oh, I really am thankful that I did that because, there are so many things like on the daily that come up that I can pull from that education. So it is really valuable. And at the time I didn't think it was cause I wasn't going to work as a entrepreneur or in the gym space. I was at an online company shooting media. So like it didn't make a whole lot of sense, but now it makes a ton of sense and I'm really grateful for that. So like, I would say all of it hundred percent. So I'm, I'm glad.
0: glad <laughs> I'm, I'm really. I'm. I'm glad to hear. I'm glad to hear that from. Like, uh, I generally don't hear that kind of thing, right? So you and me are same age, right? I, I took a fifth year in college. I graduated in Um, but it was, you know, I didn't take a business class or anything, and you know, uh, you know, kind of just went to work through the Globo gyms and kind of worked my way up there and kind of learned down the streets, and and I, I personally. Maybe it's because I have a kid now, who even her fucking kindergarten right now is stupid expensive. I'm like, these better be fucking public, you know, like fucking award winning <laughs> fucking finger paint you're doing. I swear to Christ. <laughs> um, but, like, the more I think about it now, I'm just so sh- I shit on the education system so much now. Like, fuck, like, even my, I mean, I had my degree in exercise science, and it was just, it was, it was very, it was not well done. I learned more outside this university than I did inside. But so I mean, I, it does. It it kind of makes me. I'm like, oh, that's good. I'm glad that there are some like well, universities that put together good you, programs.
1: Yeah, I also bet you it built a base that you're not aware of. So we have a coach that has no CrossFit. Well, he does now, but he had no CrossFit experience, no weightlifting experience, but has an exercise science degree and is probably one of our s- smartest coaches. And when you show him the OPEC stuff or you show him some of this other stuff, he goes, "Oh, I get it. Yeah, well, he, let's, he got, this. Yeah. let's try this. Yeah, and he's just he just knows yeah. because." the principles are the same. So same thing with business, if you have the business principles understanding, and then you understand like tax law, you're going to be fine. So like, you got to get some business principles down and then you'll be okay. And I think that's what laid the foundation. And I look back on it. I'm like, Oh, I'm glad I did that.
0: Yeah. That's dope, man. I'm glad to hear that. Well, Tom, man, listen, this is, this was fun, dude. And I, I always enjoy anytime I get someone to actually take me up on this. Cause as I'm sure you can imagine, I, I ask a lot of people who disagree with me on the internet to come on and do this and very fucking few take me up on it. And, uh, yeah, dude, I, I listen, I, I appreciate you disagree with me and give me a different perspective on the conversation that we had. Um, and uh, I'm glad you've been able to find success with your version. And and like I, I said in the beginning, I it's not what you do. I think pretty much almost everything could work. It's it's who's doing it and then how and why they're doing it. And I think you obviously have nailed down the, those last two dude. So uh, I applaud you.
1: Thanks. Yeah. And I appreciate you putting things on the internet like that because it helps people think differently. So whether or not they're going to come on the podcast, hopefully they look at your post and they sit back and go, how does this apply to me? What should sure. I think differently about it? And could I prove my argument, you know, and that's a good thing.
0: And it's nice when you guys like you come in, because like, uh, you know, going back, and look like you gave me a really nice, long, thorough response. Very well thought. Of. Even Sean, I was looking back, Pastouch popped in there. He goes, bro, I don't agree with you, but holy shit, you wrote that very well. Like he like he, you really had a nice, strong, concise counter uh, point. And then you and me went back and forth in the audio messages. And it's like they're just so often. And, and I'm sure most coaches maybe see it or people like someone comes in. They're like, oh, I just fucking stupid. They, they It's like, great. Cool would you be interested in de- like talking about it? And I like, I did debate in high school. I fucking loved it. dude. I debated pro Holocaust. I did. Fuck it. I mean, you give me the worst position. I want to debate that. So I want to be in the hardest position possible and have to fight my way out of a corner. Yeah. And um, I I'm telling you, man, I think, uh, I think more coaches like you, if anyone's listening to this uh, and you've got a, you know, a competitor's program or you're having some issues with it, and you want to talk to someone who's done it. Well, you know, uh, I'll ask Todd here to share his contact information, but, uh, I would highly recommend reaching out to this guy.
1: Yeah. I'd love to talk.
0: Awesome. So what's the best way for someone to get in contact with you?
1: Obviously Instagram, but you could always email us at info at, at the pack.fit
0: info at the pack that fit. And if you want to check out Todd, just it's coach dot with period Todd, T O D D W I S E. I'll have all this down in the podcast show notes. Todd, brother, this was, uh, this was a ton of fun, dude. I wish you nothing but the best and continued success. And uh, we'll stay in touch. Thanks, Stu. Absolutely.